and welcome to Change Your Relationship with Food, the podcast hosted by me, Kyla Holly. With many years' experience as an eating disorder and bariatric therapist, I know exactly what it takes to help you break free from your diet history and develop a more healthy relationship with food. Please follow this podcast to make sure you don't miss a thing. I wanted to talk about trauma and how it affects our relationship with food. And there are lots of different types of traumas. And we've all actually been worldwide. Everybody on the planet has been through one over the last three or four years with COVID-19. It affected all of us in very different ways. Some people had a very real trauma with the loss of a loved one, and especially for those people who couldn't see loved ones when it was at the end of their lives, they were denied that possibility, which must have been a very acute trauma. And even for those of us that didn't lose a loved one and didn't suffer too much as far as our own health, we were still exposed on a daily basis to those figures coming up every night on the news. The first news story was how many people were infected, how many people had died that day. The fact that we were given these constant, constant messages about wearing masks, avoiding other people, it really built up this residual fear, which was kind of omnipresent everywhere. We were afraid we'd never dealt with anything like this before. And there was that real sense of insecurity and us being unsure of the future, which I think will actually play out for many, many, many years in the effects that it has as as a population. So lots of different types of trauma. We've got acute trauma, the sort of things that we would all recognise as being traumatic. For instance, abuse, neglect, violence, serving in a combat zone, being in a car accident, those things that we would undeniably say, yes, that was traumatic for somebody. There's also things like developmental trauma, though, which is far more subtle. It's not necessarily one great big traumatic event. It's a series of smaller events that build slowly to really change how we define who we are and how we see ourselves. There's also things like generational trauma, which we know can be carried through our genes, and precognitive trauma, things that might happen to us physically at an age when we're very young and we can't necessarily remember them happening later on, but nevertheless they did happen and they're kind of stored in our nervous system. So let's have a look at some of the things that happen when we've been through a trauma to our physical self, and then I'll connect in what relevance this has to our relationship with food. So firstly, the brain. When we've been exposed to trauma, the brain rewires itself. This is called neuroplasticity. And instead of following the same pattern the brain would normally follow in a non-traumatized brain, where if we encounter something that could be potentially worrying for us, a situation that we've never been in before, or something that might make us unsure or a little anxious, Our brain has a system where it will flick back into the hippocampus and it will search for a reference for what's going on. It will say, has this happened before? Should I be worried about this? Is this okay? And the hippocampus serves as kind of a reference library. And it will send a message back to say either, 
yes, this is potentially worrying or frightening, or no, this is all okay, we've met this before and we don't need to panic. If we do need to panic, a message goes to the amygdala, which is another part of the brain, and it says, okay, invoke the stress response. So produce cortisol, produce adrenaline, and also put us into that sort of hyper-aroused flight or fight response. But what the traumatized brain does is it skips out the reference library. So instead of going back to the hippocampus and saying, should we be worried about this? The brain defaults straight to the amygdala. And what this means for us as a human response is that we're constantly anxious. We're constantly stressed. We are people that worry. We fret about things. That's a very old fashioned word, but it just came into my head. Um, But these are the things that sort of affect us every day. And we become one of those people that is constantly anxious and worried. And what can often happen in these situations is we start to add these sort of safety mechanisms into our lives. We either procrastinate or we do the opposite and become ultra planners where everything has to be planned down to the last minute and structured. So it really has an effect on our day-to-day life. But also there's an effect on our nervous system. We have something called the autonomic nervous system. And this has two parts. One is the sympathetic nervous system. And the other side of that is the parasympathetic nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system is where the flight and fight response would go. So generally that side of the nervous system is active. It's full of energy. It's what we use when we're engaged and we're actively involved in something. It's that part of the nervous system which is keeping us alert and responsive. And generally, if the areas of the nervous system aren't overstimulated, we should swap quite nicely from one to the other. We should swap from that sort of aroused, energetic, doing things active state into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest. And ideally, we should swap between the two. The problems come, though, when we have been traumatized, because what happens is we go into a hyper aroused state in those two areas of the nervous system. So in the sympathetic nervous system, remember the active side, the energetic side, will go into a super aroused state, which is fight and flight. That feeling of hyper arousal, you're ready for anything, you're literally ready to to fight or to run away. And that's a state that we can't stay in very long without the system getting quite overwhelmed. When the system is overwhelmed, it has to go to the other side, to the parasympathetic nervous system. And instead of finding that happy place of rest and digest, it tends to again go to an extreme part of the parasympathetic nervous system. And it goes into this kind of freeze or shutdown state. So unless we're highly activated, we shut down. It's one or the other. It becomes a very sort of black and white response. And that, again, often you see it in people, it reflects in their thinking, black and white thinking. They either have to be 100% perfect 
or they're a complete failure because they're so accustomed to these extremes that they fluctuate between that their behavior seems to mirror that as well. Now, on the parasympathetic side of the nervous system, which remember is rest, digest and freeze and shut down if it's hyper aroused, we've got something called the vagal nerve. And this is a nerve that runs from the base of our brain. It then splits and runs down both sides of our body and it connects again and ends at the large intestine. And this vagus nerve or vagal nerve, it's, it runs by the two names. And this vagus nerve is split into two areas, a dorsal vagus and a ventral vagus. Now, the dorsal vagus is the area that we will find ourselves if we're in that fight or flight response. And the ventral vagus is kind of what we're looking for. That's what we're searching for. That's the place of sort of security and connection and that kind of more sort of rest and digest side of things. So the body ideally tries to land in the ventral vagus. That's where it feels good for us. And that's what as humans we crave. What happens over time, though, is if we spend a lot of time in that parasympathetic nervous system, which generally is a response to trauma. It's a survival adaptation because if our system is overwhelmed constantly, we find a number of ways to try desperately to calm that system. So we spend a lot of time in the parasympathetic nervous system trying to calm things down. And that can also lead if there's an overstimulation of that vagal nerve over time, it can lead to a number of physical issues and a lot of which are connected to food. So what that can do over time, it can actually lower our metabolic rate. It can slow our gastric emptying and it can cause things like reflux and irritable bowel syndrome. So for a lot of people, these physical side effects of this sort of overstimulation of the vagal nerve happen. And of course, if that's all going on, if you've lowered your metabolic rate, well, what's likely to happen? You're likely to have weight gain. And if you have weight gain, what are you likely to do? Well, you're likely to go on a diet and so on and so forth. So it really affects our relationship with food. Likewise, that slower gastric emptying, things like reflux and IBS, you know, all of these affect the way we eat and the way we think about food. And I see this a lot playing out in the people that come to see me when certain ways that they act or react or certain physical conditions that they have can lead me to believe that somewhere in the background is trauma. And I have to find it. And quite often, if they are someone who's very open and it's been a, a very sort of conducive first session, sometimes I'll, I'll just ask, I'll just say, look, a lot of these things stack up to you having a trauma history. Would that be true? And I introduce it in that way. If they are very emotional in that first visit or they're very sensitive or they're very shut down, then perhaps I won't talk about it initially and I might introduce it talking about it in the third person a little bit to sort of say, in many cases, such and such happens, just to introduce the concept to them so that they can let the information land and decide whether it is actually something that's relevant to them. And then quite often they open up after that. 
So what does this mean for our body? If this is perhaps you and you've been through a trauma or you've had some sort of trauma history and you recognize that it does connect through to your relationship with food, what you'll notice is this feeling of, I call it kind of agitation or unrest, not being able to settle in your body. Your body doesn't feel comfortable. You don't feel as if you can really connect to your body. Also, we tend to in this situation, we're more likely to say we feel fat because fat is something that is sort of universally understood. And it's something I think on some level we feel we can deal with. Whereas what we're actually experiencing, we know even in our subconscious, is actually way more difficult to deal with. So again, we're in that avoidant shutdown phase and we go, well, it must be, all these feelings must be because I'm carrying a bit of extra weight. It must be all about being fat. And I'll kind of pin it all to that because that's something that theoretically I can deal with. It's easier, basically. So most likely people view dieting as a solution to feeling fat and they will go on a diet. This is regardless of your actual size or shape. Some people can feel very fat when they're actually a very low weight. Um, So it's not all connected to your actual weight or your shape or your size. It's generally wanting to change in some way the body that you're in with the belief that that will change how you feel emotionally. So what it tends to look like in behavior is certain styles of eating develop. And one which is really clear when people describe this to me, I kind of go, oh, this is someone in their parasympathetic nervous system hunting around for that ventral vagal, is that foraging style of eating where people go to the fridge or they go to their pantry and they go, hmm, what is it I need? Is it something sweet and then they'll eat something sweet and then afterwards they'll go "Mm, no that didn't hit the spot perhaps I need something salty and crunchy and then they'll have something salty and crunchy and then still "Mm, no that didn't hit the spot and the spot they're trying to hit is this relaxation of their nervous system and food Some foods might do it very, very briefly, but they don't offer that real change in our nervous system that we're seeking. So that's what we tend to see is foraging. We also see people eating for a number of reasons that they will name, such as comfort or boredom or eating when they're lonely. But think about these situations in which that happens. So eating for boredom, eating for comfort, eating when you're lonely tends to happen when the busyness of the day dies down. I get it a lot when people come to see me and they say, when the kids go to bed, that's when I eat. This idea that I've served many purposes over the day. I've been somebody's parent. I've been somebody's spouse or partner. I've been somebody's work colleague. When my responsibilities die down in the day, that's when the eating starts. So what they feel is this sense of all day they've been distracted. They've been busy, busy, busy. They haven't had time to think about food. And now suddenly here they are. They're with their body for the first time in the day. And they notice this sense of agitation 
this sense of being unsettled. Oh, how am I going to solve that? Oh, I guess I better eat something. And that's what they do. But they name it boredom, comfort or loneliness. So this eating tends to be in private. So there'll be a public eater and there'll be a private eater. And for some people who are very, very disconnected and very kind of shut down, they'll actually eat in a trance. They won't even connect to their body for the purpose of eating. They will eat in this trance-like state, not really recognizing what they're eating, just feeling numb. Another way to achieve the same numbness is binging. Quite often people go into this trance-like binge where they'll just eat and eat and eat. They're not connecting with their body for satiety signals. They're not connecting with how it feels. They're just on this mission to numb down whatever discomfort they actually feel in that body. What will sometimes happen then as well, once they feel very, very full, they'll actually kind of start connecting to their body and go, oh, this feels horrible. I've gone too far. What have I done? And then they will seek to purge themselves of that heaviness because they're seeking, again, a physical change. Now I've got a body that feels unbelievably heavy and uncomfortable. How do I lighten it and how do I lighten it quickly? Well, for some people, a purge might be the answer to that. And suddenly they feel lighter. They feel like they've reset with a clean slate um, and they feel lighter and fresher and it creates a big change in their body. And that's what they're actually seeking. Some people, of course, will choose not to eat at all. They're so shut down. They're so numbed that they just don't eat and they will go into this situation where they think if I deny my body of food then it will make a very big change to my body and that will solve my problem. So all this is basically emotional avoidance. It's avoiding those big emotions that we simply can't deal with so we go into that sort of extreme area of the parasympathetic nervous system and we shut down. And not only do we shut down emotionally, but we also shut down in our relationship with food and also with our body. I had someone just this week, actually, um, that came to me and we were talking about this and she suddenly her hand came up mid-conversation and it sort of drew a line at her neck. And I said, what are you doing there with your hand? And she said, this is it, isn't it? This is my shut-off point. And she said for years she hadn't paid attention to anything below that point. There was this real disconnect. And I sort of nodded and smiled and I said, yep, you've got it. <laughs> Trauma is something which unfortunately is there for so many of us. I know I see people who come to me for help and that might make what I see disproportionate as far as the general population is concerned. But every single day I'm dealing with the majority of people who have some sort of trauma in their past. And some of the trauma stories I hear are unbelievably heartbreaking. I struggle to kind of hear them. And I also struggle to comprehend what a human has to do physically and psychologically to create safety in some of the situations that they've been in. 
And we all try to do this. We have a survival adaptation, a way of keeping ourselves safe if we possibly can. And that's different for everybody, obviously, but it's something which is very, very human and quite often it will be diagnosed. So we've we've employed this safety mechanism to try and keep us safe both physically and psychologically over the years. And someone will come along and say, this is something, something disorder and almost blame your reaction to the trauma on you. And they will diagnose you and say, there's something wrong with you. It's my belief that that's often not the case. There's nothing actually wrong with us. What we are doing is we are adjusting to something in the past that has happened to us, which perhaps we didn't know how to cope with, or our brain wasn't developed enough at the time to cope with. And this is our way of surviving as best we can with the tools that were available to us at that point. So there's something to think about. I know this might have raised for you more questions than answers, but please keep listening. And over the weeks and the months and the years, we will cover so many different subjects to help you piece all this together. And please, I keep, this is the third time I've I've put out an actual formal request. Please follow this podcast. It really matters to us. Having a great start really matters as far as us getting some momentum behind this, making it better and better, starting to have some guests to come and join us and making it something that's of real value to you. So please follow us and hopefully I will catch up with you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. You can send your show ideas, questions or suggestions to info at acfeb.com.